I want to kick off this morning by talking about emails. It's a great subject, isn't it? Emails. Uh, how many people here feel that you just get too many emails? Yeah, quite a few of you. Hopefully not from us. The odd one now and again, but not from us. How many of you have ever had the experience where you have sent someone an email and, uh, and you say to them, did you get my email? And they say, no, I didn't get it. And you say, no, I definitely sent you an email. And then when you get home later and you look, you discover that that email is stuck in your outbox and it never went. Has that ever happened to anyone? Yeah, yeah good. Excellent. Well, uh, we're kicking off uh, a, a series just for the next three weeks as we run up into our special Christmas services that's called Outbox. As we think about the fact that actually we have been sent, but are we stuck? But are we stuck? You see what I did there, Harry? You like that, didn't you? I could tell. It's good. At least Harry's with me this morning. Is anyone else with me this morning? Okay, that's good. Good stuff. Because we're coming up to Christmas and we remember that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That Jesus Christ, God's only son, broke into human history and through his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, people can be restored into a life-giving relationship with God. Jesus was sent. And guess what? God so loves your workplace that he has sent you. God so loved your street that he has sent you. God has so loved your family and friends and the people that you connect with. He loves those people so very much that he has sent you. He has sent me. And he sent us to partner with Jesus to restore other people into that life-giving, wonderful relationship that everyone on planet Earth is longing for, whether they know it or not. He has sent us to partner with Jesus. What a privilege. What a responsibility. But, but the question for you and I this morning as we run up to Christmas is this. like, Have we got stuck in the outbox? Has, has Jesus sent us but we've been stuck? Has the message not yet got through? Has that invitation from heaven through us not yet arrived where it should arrive through us into the people that we meet? What's it going to take for us to get unstuck? And into God's world to be sent. And that's what we're going to explore over these next three weeks. And, uh, and today I'm going to do that through this uh, passage in Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first eight verses. So uh, be ready for that. If, let me just give some background to this. So Isaiah was a, an Old Testament prophet. He prophesied. Uh, and, uh, and to be a prophet means that you're speaking out God's word, what God is saying Uh, God's will into a current situation or into something in the future. And so Isaiah was a prophet around seven to eight hundred years before Christ. And he was a prophet for over 60 years or nearly 60 years. And he outlived numerous kings of Judah. And and when we jump into Isaiah chapter 6, it's it's around about the beginning of his prophetic ministry. He's just starting. And actually, this is the kickoff point for, for what launches him into this work. To speak out God's life, God's word to people. And basically, if you look at the book of Isaiah... And uh, there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. What you'll see is basically he does two things. Number one, he is pointing God's people back to God because they've gone their own way. And so all the time he's saying, come back to God. And if you don't come back to God, this is what's going to happen. Come back to God. So he's doing that. And the second thing he's doing, he's pointing to the future because he's saying, as we'll discover a little bit later, but God is going to send his Messiah. 
And the Messiah is going to come and he's going to rescue um, you all. And so that's what he's doing. So let's jump in. We're going to read the first of all the first four verses. And it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seating on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which are angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Let's pause there. Point number one, how do we get sent by God? I want to suggest to you the first thing that happens with Isaiah here is he gets this incredible vision of who God is. It is his wow moment. There is a wow moment to embrace about how incredible God is. And if we don't get this, we won't go. Let me explain. First of all, to say King Uzziah, the guy who's referenced here, so he died around 740 years before Jesus. And he was one of Judah's most longest kings. He reigned as a king for 52 years. And Uzziah was one of those rare kings because he was a good king. He started out well. He was very young when he became king. And for most of his kingly years, he did great. But he finished tragically really badly. So often happens with many of the kings because pride became his downfall. You can read elsewhere in 2 Chronicles 26 16, it says, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And so Uzziah's successful reign ends badly. He gets leprosy and he dies. This beloved king. And it's a shock to the nation of Judah. They're horrified. They think like, you know, if, if a guy like him ends so badly, like what does this mean for us? And, and, and what will the future king do? This is a very uncertain moment, a very confusing moment for the nation. They're just wondering like, where's, where's the stability? Where's the security? A little bit like today. With all the stuff that's going on in our political scene at the moment. What's going to happen with Brexit? Will our nation be okay? Will our pound plummet? Are we going to be in financially dire straits? What's going to happen? Are jobs going to be lost? Like all of this fighting that's going on at the moment at a, at a political level in our nation. People are wondering, will we be secure? And that's not to speak of even the things that are going on in your life and my life. The things where we don't feel secure. There's nothing to hold on to because of things that we're struggling in our workplace or we with our sicknesses or with our finances or in our relationships and and we too are struggling, we're wrestling, we're confused. In the year King Uzziah died, there was tension, there was struggle, there were questions, there was confusion and it's in this place that, that Isaiah is praying and as he's praying in the year that King Uzziah died, he gets this incredible heavenly vision. And it answers the question, like, where is God in the midst of confusion and disappointment and struggle and uncertainty and insecurity? Where is God in the midst of all these things? And Isaiah gets the answer. The answer is, God is on his throne. That's where God is. And he is high and he is exalted and he is lifted up above all things. Some of us need that kind of vision from God this morning about how big God is, how awesome God is. We need a fresh vision of how incredible our God is. 
How many people watched the royal wedding earlier this year? Harry and, uh, I don't mean the other one. I've forgotten even her name. B, B got married, didn't she? Harry and Meghan got married. And, uh, and she looked absolutely stunning. And she's got this uh, train in, in her robe, in her uh, wedding dress, which was 16 feet long. And I'm sure you know that one of the reasons that the bridal dress is so separate and it has this train is because the whole point is that everyone in the room will know who the most important person in the room is. Because like we all know, when you go to a wedding, what everyone really wants to see is the bride. Is that not true? Like everyone wants to see the bride. And so, so you don't get confused between the bride and the bridesmaids. The bride's dress is completely different, but her train is the thing that separates her, that distinguishes her. When she enters the room, you know this is the most important person in the room. But in this passage that we've just read, God's train of his royal robes as he sits on the throne, they're not 16 feet. The train of God's robes fill the temple, absolutely fill the temple. And it's like God is saying, he wants to make it absolutely clear to Isaiah, the most important person in the room, the most important person in the temple, the most important person in the universe is God, is God. Nothing is beyond his reach. His robe, his reach, his touch fills everything. And as we've sung, there is no one like him. And that's why, that's why the angels sing this, like we just sang, they, holy. This word holy, there is none like him. Holy, the word holy uh, means, literally it means to be different, to be unique, to be separate, to be set apart, to be so distinctively different. And you'll notice in verse 3, they say it three times, holy, holy, holy. You see, in, in Hebrew thought, if you say something once, it's pretty important. So if I said to you, God is holy, you go, yeah. God is holy. But if I said, no, God is holy, holy, you go, yeah, yeah, I get it. He's like, he's more than just holy. He's holy, holy. But if you say in, in Hebrew language, because repetition reinforces intensity, if I said to you, no, God is holy, 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 that I'm saying he is mind-blowingly holy. He is mind-blowingly different. He is beyond your wildest imaginations. He is better than you could possibly comprehend. That's how holy he is. That's how different he is. He is so marvelous and incredible. That's what Isaiah is getting in this moment. And I love the fact that, that the angels declare this with such passion, with such zeal, that the whole place shakes. Because they believe it so much. God, you're holy, holy, holy. They can't contain themselves. And the whole place shakes. And in that moment... It says that smoke fills the temple and smoke is a sign of the presence of God. And because, you know, where, where God is honoured, where God is revered, where, where God is declared to who he is, he always rocks up in greater power and presence. He always does. He always does. Why are some of us stuck in the inbox today? Like we've been sent, but we're stuck. And, and I suggest to you the first reason is because we've made our God too small. Our God is too small. And it affects our worship and it affects our witness. It affects our worship. We worship small because our God is small. 
Like he's not worthy of extravagant worship. And I don't just mean singing, but worshipping in the whole of our lives. Our God is so small. He's not worthy of extravagance. He's not worthy of the roof rafters shaking as the people of God generally applaud him. I mean, we've kind of all had those moments. I, you know, I, I've, I've spoken in a few other churches this week and it gets to that moment and someone says, you know, we had it this week. You know, let's put our hands together for the Lord. And, and we're all very, yeah, bravo, God, bravo. Oh, you're very good. Bravo. Good on you. Come on. God is flipping amazing. He is incredible. Like he is worthy of our praise and glory. Like he he is so, so good. But our God is too small. And it affects our worship and it affects our witness. We witness little because our God is incidental. Like for many of us, if we're honest, if you think about it, like God has just become your invisible friend. That's all he is. He's your invisible friend and he's with you. And you like your invisible friend. Your invisible friend comes with you and you can talk to him and it's great. You can chat with him all the time. He's just your nice little invisible friend. But I want to tell you this morning that God is not God Almighty. He's God Almighty. He is, he is beyond your wildest dreams. He's more powerful than you could possibly imagine. He loves you more than you could ever comprehend. He's, he's not, he is your friend, but he's so much more than that. But because we've made him too small, he's just not worth sharing. Like Everyone's got a little invisible friend and you just happen to call yours Jesus. He's so much more. God wants... Us to have a, a bigger vision of who he is today. Because if we could get our head around, even to a small degree, how big God is, then we wouldn't be able to help but sharing about him. Like, you know, if, if you ever experienced something like really, really good, like you want to tell people, don't you? Like I, I had the privilege of a month or so ago going to see Hamilton, the, the, the musical down in London. Like, has anyone else seen it? Okay. Oh, yeah. One person over there. It, it's amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely... And I'm like an evangelist for Hamilton. Like, you know, you need to save for years to be able to go. But, uh, but it's so, so good. Like, if you see a film or a piece of music or if you have some kind of experience that you think, this is great, I want everyone to have this. Isn't that what we do? And yet we don't do that with God. What is that about? Because our God is too small. May God give us a fresh revelation of of who he is, how awesome he is, that we could come to him and say, God, your commitment to me is is absolutely unquestionable, that your joy is unspeakable. You you are so incredible. Your, Your peace is unbelievable. Your wisdom is unthinkable. Your power is unimaginable. Your promises are unbreakable. Your holiness is unmatchable. Your justice is inescapable. Your generosity is immeasurable. Your grace is unreasonable. Your mercy is unfathomable. Your hope is unshakable and your love is unquenchable. You're an incredible God today. You're an incredible God today. But God, this is your God. This is your God. God is awesome. He's worthy of our praise. May may we have a bigger vision of a life that we can't help but tell people. There's a wow to embrace. Then let's read on what happens next in Isaiah. Verses 5 to 7. Isaiah then says, Woe to me. I cried, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. There is a, a wow to embrace, but there's also a woe. There's also a when you get a sense of how awesome God is, if you're honest, you start to realize a bit like how awful you are compared to him. When you look at his perfect love, you, you realize how far short of that kind of love you are. His perfect kindness, his perfect forgiveness. You, you just realize how far short of that you are. And, and that's what happens to Isaiah here. He's just like, woe is me. Like, I am a dead man in the presence of this God. Like, how could I live the way that I'm living when I see how holy and awesome this God is? How could I doubt him? How could I not trust him? How could I not believe in him? How could I not take comfort in him when I see how incredible he is? I have said things and I have done things that have damaged me and damaged other people and damaged my relationship with him. And I, and I live amongst the people who do the same thing. We are in trouble. I cannot save myself. That's what happens to Isaiah in this moment when he gets this revelation of God. Some of us don't feel that because we've made our God too small. And so we look pretty good. But when you realize how awesome God is, there's a humbling where you just realize, oh God, God, have mercy on me. Yeah. Back in uh, May this year, Paul and I had the privilege of going on a little road trip for a week around California. And uh, we, we went to Yosemite for a couple of days, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, this is the photo that you see here. This is a photo that we took when we were kind of right at the, uh, at the base camp. And, and these rocks, mountains, whatever you call them, they are utterly monstrous. I mean, you can't get a sense of the scale of this even there. It takes a climber. This one here, I can't remember the name of it. But this one here takes a climber three days to climb. That's how big it is. And literally, when you're there, they feel huge. They literally feel like giants all around you. And you feel so incredibly small. And that's what's happening for Isaiah in this moment. And yet more so. Even more so. That as he sees how awesome and wonderful God is, he just realizes how awful he can be. And it's into this moment that something utterly wonderful happens. Because if it ended there, it would be disappointing. But what is wonderful, what happens is, is that God doesn't want us to wallow in our woes. I, I remember a few years ago being in Mexico on one of our house building trips. And after one of the evening meetings, uh, some people stay behind for prayer. And this, uh, this young lady did, who was a youth leader, I'll call her Helen. And I went over to see her and I sat with her and, and I said, what's up, Helen? And she was a bit teary and she, was, she brought a youth group and she just said, I just feel so unworthy to do this. I just feel like, like I'm not good enough to do this. That I'm trying to be good news to these young people, but my own life is still such a mess up. I'm so unworthy. I'm, I'm just so not good enough. And so I looked into her and with my, my best pastoral gifting, I said, Helen, I said, you're not good enough. I said, you're not worthy. And I said, that is the wonderful news. None of us are good enough. None of us are worthy. We don't come to God this morning with our perfection. He comes to us with his perfection, his perfect healing, his perfect forgiveness, his perfect love, his perfect acceptance, his perfect transformation. He comes to us. He touches 
our lives when we come to him humbly. That's what happens to this, to this man Isaiah, this, this, this burning coal in, in the scripture. Fire is a symbol of purifying. And so, so when the burning coal, this metaphor, the burning coal touches Isaiah's lips, touches his body, it's like God is saying, I'm purifying you and I'm making you worthy. I'm making you good enough. I declare that you're not a sinner, that you are a son, that you are a son. He says that it's been atoned for. That means like the price has been paid. How did this happen? How is the price paid? And the answer is through Jesus. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection have paid the price for our sinfulness and selfishness. Jesus is the means by which every single person in human history has their sinfulness, their selfishness, their brokenness, their unforgiveness, their gossip, their lies, their cheating, their stealing, their deceit, the things that they don't do that they should do. Jesus pays it all. That's the good news. And years and years later, decades later, it's Isaiah that gets a glimpse of that in one of his prophetic passages when he doesn't know that he's talking about Jesus, but he is talking about the Messiah. And in Isaiah 53, 5 to 6 Isaiah, talking of Jesus, says he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus the Messiah, the sins of us all. This is good news. There is a wow to embrace. There is a woe to embrace. But in that place, you can experience the wonder of God's grace. Which means that today, and it's what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4.16, we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. We we don't come cowering like Isaiah did, but we can step into the presence of God. We can come to God every moment of every day and we can say, Heavenly Dad, I need your help. And he doesn't go, just sort your life out first. He says, welcome. You're clean. You're holy. You're worthy because of what my son has done for you. The wonder of God's grace. And then finally, in in verse 8. It says, then I heard, this is Isaiah again, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Friends, you know, when when you have a vision of how awesome God is, and when you experience the wonder of his grace, when you admit that you're not all that you should be, the only possible response is to worship him and witness for him. It's the only possible response. Because other people need to know how awesome this God is as well. Other people need this forgiveness. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it? Some of us would have perhaps taken this approach. We would have been like Isaiah and said, uh, Jesus, this, is, this moment is great. Now I'm, I'm restored and I can enjoy the temple. I'll just stay with the angels. Let me be in this moment for the rest of my life, for the rest of all eternity. I want to be in this temple. I don't want to go back to the people where they're suffering and struggle and they might uh, slag me off and they might misunderstand me and I might get sacked from my job as I live as a Christian and, and, and people might say things about me if, if I have to invite them to Christmas things or invite them to church. Like, you know, can I just stay? Can I just stay? And yet God says, in the middle of this worship, in the middle of this restoration, he says, who will go for us to them who yet do not know? 
And it's Isaiah who says, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me. And I know it's this point, like we, we, can, all, we can all think, oh, oh, I hate this bit. Because like we like this, this feels safe. This, this feels kind of easy. But to live out our faith and speak out our faith, that's a harder thing to do. And yet that's what we're called to do. I, I, I'm stretching myself all the time to do this. I know that some of you think, like, Matt, you're a gobby person. Like, you know, you're gobby up on stage. I bet that you can just go up to complete strangers and talk about Jesus. I can't. I find that really hard. I remember years ago, you know, just being exercised about hearing these preacher stories about preachers who lead people to Christ next to planes, you know, and next to seats on planes. You know those kind of stories? I remember sitting next to a guy on an easy jet flight from Luton up to Edinburgh, and, and he was by the window seat, and I was next to him, and I thought, okay, Lord, I want to do this. I want to preach the gospel. I want to lead this guy to Jesus. And, uh, you know, but my, my mouth didn't, wouldn't move. And, um, and then we ended up having a little chat, which was good. And he told me he was a university professor. And as we're flying over, he's te- you know, he does this flight a lot. And he's telling me this is that place and those are those mountains. And, and, uh, and I suddenly had an idea. I thought, what I'm going to say to him is, as we're literally, he's looking out the window. I'm looking over his shoulder. I was going to say to him, it's hard to believe there isn't a God when you see something as good as that. And that would kickstart a conversation so so he's looking out the window i'm looking out the window and and i'm like and then i did then it came out it's hard to believe i said that there isn't a god when you look at something as beautiful as that and he went "Mm." and then the conversation ended that was it that was all the and I'd love to say there was more. And I remember beating myself up and thought I didn't, oh, I could have done so much better and I hadn't thought about the what next. But as, even as I've been reflecting upon that moment this week, the truth is, friends, I had a go. I had a go. And maybe even that little question was enough. I was in Sainsbury's just last uh, week, just buying a few things. And I stopped and the guy, the cashier guy, he's got his arm uh, up like that and his name thing's on there. Let's call him Derek. I said, hey, Derek, how are you doing today? And he said, like, I'm all right. I was like, oh, what's happened to your arm? And he said, oh, I've got some kind of wasted thing. It doesn't work anymore and, and stuff. And I said, oh, that must be hard. Yeah, you know, we're, we're talking. I'm just trying to make conversation and stuff. And, and I just feel like really nice. And so I just, I simply said to him, look, I, I'm, uh, I don't want offend you I said I'm someone who prays and uh, and so so if you don't mind I, you know I didn't want to do it there and then because I didn't want to get in trouble like when I leave the shop I'm going to pray that God would heal your arm is that okay and he went oh that'd be great thank you and then I then I left and I prayed for him like, I'm having a go I'm having a go. It doesn't need to be super. I, I think prayer is one of the most powerful mission tools that you can use. People in your workplace, like people who are uh, struggling in stuff. And the, mo- the majority of people I meet who when you say, look, I- I'm someone who prays. I believe God loves you and he cares for you. And I'd love to pray for that. Is that okay? And sometimes you can even do it there and then. But just having a go. Start somewhere. It's not about being extrovert. It's just about being good news. Just about being good news. Are you stuck in the outbox today? Has Jesus sent you and yet you've been stuck? Do you need a bigger revelation of who God is? What he's done for you, the wonder of his grace. What is God saying? What are you going to do about it? I I want to invite you just as I close to two things, to two really practical things that you can stretch your faith in in this year of stretch that's going to push us into next year. And it's about devote and it's about invite. And so the first one is devote. 
Like we, we mentioned this on Tuesday evening, that we really feel that next year, and it can start now, God is inviting us just to draw closer to him as the most important thing that we do. And so you'll see we're going to release more resources and stuff on this shortly. But I'm going to invite you to start getting in the habit of spending six minutes a day with Jesus at the start of your day. Start your day with Jesus. Two minutes reading a little bit of scripture. Two minutes reflecting on what God might be saying in that scripture. And then two minutes just to pray. Six minutes a day. Start your day with Jesus. And then as you go through the day, secondly, turn your thoughts to prayer. Things that you're thinking about. Become more aware that God is with you and turn those thoughts to prayer. And at the end of the day, close your day well with God. And so when you put your head on the pillow, that you make a conscious choice to forgive everyone who's wound you up. And you lay all your troubles and your cares with him. And so we embrace that habit. And then once a month, you try and meet with some friends. And you simply say, what's God been saying and what am I doing about it? Like, if that is all we manage to achieve, that we have a church, 80-90% of people doing that, let me tell you, friends, we'll have a revolution. Because the closer you get to God, the more you spend time with him, the more you'll realize how amazing he is. And he will speak to you. I want to invite you to do that. There'll be more on that coming in. Devote. And then secondly, as I close, and Ben, do you want to come back up? To invite. Ultimately, friends, may your life be an invitation. May the way you live your life, with God helping you by the Holy Spirit, that will provoke people to ask questions. But actually, do you notice that when this burning coal touched Isaiah, it didn't touch his hands, it touched his mouth. Because you do need to speak. Paul says in Romans 10, how can people be saved unless someone tells them? Unless someone tells them. And so don't just live it out, but speak it out. Be the kind of people who will post on Instagram or Facebook later today, like, I was in church this morning, it was awesome. Be the kind of people who, when, when you're at work tomorrow and people said, like, what was the highlight of your day? You said, like, oh, my senior pastor, he's amazing, his preaching was on fire. No, don't say that. Say, I, I went to church and I met God and I had an encounter with God. You should come. You should come. Like we want to have a go, we want to have a go, we want to just say, hey, I'd love to pray for you. Hey, why don't you come with me on Sunday? Just like, come and try it out. Like you know, they, they have pano chocolate. It's amazing. Why don't you come? They, they, they're doing the Alpha course in, in, uh, in January. Like, why don't you come? Like, come with me. Like, discover this thing for yourself. And then on your seats, you have, you have 10 Christmas carol invitations. On Sunday, the 23rd, of December, we have two car- repeat carol services. There's nothing in the morning. There's a four o'clock and a six o'clock. It's going to last one hour. It will be inspirational. It will be beautiful. It will be full of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be incredible what we're going to do in that. We're going to pack into that hour. It's, it's going to be absolutely geared to people who've never been in church in their life. And I'm inviting you, I'm challenging you to be sent and, and invite. Give those cards to 10 people and ask God that you could at least bring one. At least bring one. Because we want, we want to be in the habit, actually, ultimately, of not just bringing people to, to special things, but just bringing people. That's just what we do. Because this God that we're so awesome, we want to bring him, ultimately not to church and not to event. We want to bring them to God. Because he has sent us. 
And it's time to get out of the outbox and move. Shall we stand?